0: You know, I think people have a significant amount of control over their health and well-being. Sometimes when they're diagnosed with a the condition, they kind of feel victim of the, you know, of that condition. And, and it kind of ingrains the fact that it's out of my control now, where you have a lot of control, you have a lot of autonomy, you have a lot of agency over your health and well-being. And surrounding yourself with a great knowledgeable team of practitioners to help guide you through that as well um, is, is, a, is a big piece of it. Your decisions that you do around your health and well-being is the biggest factor to understand your health span and longevity.
1: Are you curious about osteopathy? And did you know that osteopathy is more than just treating bones? And have you heard about heart rate variability or ever curious around how osteopathy can actually impact heart rate variability? In today's fast paced world, it is so essential to prioritize our health and well being. But with so many different approaches and treatments available, finding the most effective and comprehensive solution can be so overwhelming. Osteopathy, a holistic manual therapy combined with the analysis of HRV or heart rate variability offers a powerful and integrative approach to achieving optimal health. Welcome back athletes. I'm your host, Sherry Shaban, And with each episode, I am honored to be your coaching guide in the journey to fall in love with fitness and ultimately yourself. My intention in each episode is to help you release the old story of who you are and step into the one you are always meant to be. Through these conversations, together, we will step away from focusing on the doing and step into the being so that health and fitness is not just what you do, but who you are. In today's episode, we speak with Greg Elliott, an osteopath and exercise physiologist based in Vancouver, Canada. Greg is so passionate about helping his clients achieve optimal health and well-being through a holistic approach that addresses the physical, emotional, and social aspects of their lives. So if you're curious about osteopathy, or maybe even have an ailment that you're looking to treat in a new approach, this episode is for you. Let's discover together the power of this complete form of manual therapy with Greg and gain insights into how osteopathy can address more than just bones and promote overall well-being. All right, athletes, now let's meet Greg. Hi, Greg. Welcome to the show.
0: Thank you very much for having me. Excited to be here.
1: I'm excited to have you here. I think you're the first osteopath I've had on the show.
0: Yeah, there's there's not, especially in Canada, there's not a lot of us. That standpoint, and even the u s obviously there's there's a different side of things Europe, it's obviously a bit bigger, but yeah, it's osteopaths live in this little bit of little bit of bubble of mystery with what they do, and so they don't like that they said to be out in the open too much, but'm excited yeah. obviously to get the word out about osteopathy and kind of everything that we're doing,
1: yeah, well, here we are, two mysterious people, you know this reminds me of I don't know if you ever watched I think it was a Simpsons episode. And there was this one scene, it would just like super cracks me up where somebody was an osteopath. And then they got asked the question, what is an osteopath? What do you do? And it's like this long form explanation because we can't just say, well, I just, you know, I treat the human body or I'm a healer because as we know, the role of the artery is absolute. And then the body has this auto mechanism where it heals itself essentially. And so it's this long, long drawn out explanation of how the whole body is interrelated and, you know, your eyeball is connected to your toenail through fascia and all these things and communication. So if you were to boil down for somebody who's not familiar with what osteopathy is, Greg, what would that definition be for you?
0: Oh, man. Throw me into that now. It is, uh, again, it's, it's one of those things. It's, it's a lot into interpretation of what, what people are. And, and to me, it's, I always say it's kind of like from a manual therapy perspective, it's the most complete form of manual therapy that's out there. Uh, we address more than just bones because that's when most things here, but like, like with osteo, it's bones, right? right. Yeah. And it's, oh yeah, it's a part of it. But look at the, the, the definition of the word osteum is it's more of tissue, living tissue, living things. So, so we deal with, with that and all the, the holistic nature. I think it's probably, again, when you talk about all the mechanisms of health that are out there kind of the big pictures when it comes to biological psychological and social I think we're the ones that most equipped that have the tools to kind of address the the whole the whole being
1: right yeah agreed and and that's the thing is when there is a person that is on my table it's not their body they're not here to see me for their shoulder you know first yes they may be there to see me for their shoulder but what's happening in the sacrum because there's a massive connection between the hips and pelvis and then of course the shoulder but it's also again still not the body it is the person's emotions it is the person's traumas and past experiences, is how the person relates to their environment. And we talk about the biopsychosocial influence of what's happening in that person. And of course, it's the person's spirit. So all of this is going on. And so when I get asked, well, how do you treat this is going on? Oh, it's on so many levels. And then we also work on the physical level. And then we also work on the liquid level. And then we also work on the energetic level. And so To your point, it is a complete, complete global treatment, manual treatment where you're addressing the whole person, taking them out of even the experience or the situation inside that office and really relating it to the rest of their lives and that's what I love the most about it. And I found my spiritual side through osteopathy. And I remember just going through school. And that was the first time I actually connected with spirit and understood what that was. And that's where I really became so deeply spiritual was when I had this radical experience that was completely unexplained, which I do want to share with you in just a moment. But I'm so, again, so honored to be having a fellow osteo as well on the show today, because there's, I think there's a lot we're going to uncover as well together.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's the way to, you know, to educate, you know, clients that come through is, you know, pain can be there for many different reasons. So we've all seen the charts of like how they're there, you know, and to me, that's the outcome of something, right. There's, there's a disruption of some sort. It could be biomechanical. It could be spiritual. It could be any of these areas. And it's about finding them of like, what are the, what are the impacts of, of, of this, what layers that are under this, this pain or this fatigue, or this discomfort and how do we be able to address all those? And, and so it's, it's definitely a, powerful way to kind of get a deeper discussion too, with with your clients. That's a that's been a a big thing for me is opening that conversation around the size of of pain and size of of you know disease that we see in people to approach that holistic type of of care that we need to do.
1: Yeah, I love that. And, And what's cool too about what you do, okay, which I actually, this is gonna be so brand new for me and I'm super excited to learn from you. And I wanted to be so careful when we met before we started recording that I wouldn't get too much information because I'm a nerd like that. But you also do HRV. So this is another layer of treatment and approach that you take, which I'm so curious about. So I think maybe before we dive into that, let's just talk about what that means, because I wanted to share with you before we started that I just started tracking my sleep with my watch. I would normally take off my Garmin at night yep. and it gives me all this information about HRV. And it tells me whether or not I'm recovered, how well I slept. And so I have to be honest, I'm not 100 percent certain how everything is interlinked and related. So excited to get this this party started
0: yeah so i'll kind of the define hrv kind of go into a little bit factors and in, incorporate it into it as well as to why i find the value of, of measuring it so when people hear heart rate variability they think of heart rate think of you know 60 beats per minute 90 beats per minute and that's a part of it but what's actually significantly more important is actually the the frequency of which those beats occur right so you and i can have Resting heart rate of sixty beats per minute. Right, we see our watches. This is sixty nighttime average, 60 beats per minute. My heart rate beats like a metronome, right during those those that average, right, very consistent on the second every second. Yours varies; it goes up and down, a nice fluctuating type of pattern. What research shows is that we know that you are in a happier, healthier state than I am, mm-hmm. which is very counterintuitive to what we think. We think of health as being homeostasis, our be ability, you know, be able to maintain a stable environment. So it's very counterintuitive, but we know now through a bunch of literature, starting from the fifties all the way to now that with our heart rate variability is actually the opposite. We want more variability in our heart rate. Mm. So why that is, is that it's a measure of our ability to have stress resilience, our ability to, to, I call it the homeostatic capacity. It's our homeostatic capacity, our ability to maintain homeostasis. How much ability do we have to be able to maintain a stable internal environment? And so, um, this is a measurement of is our body under stress or are we in our fight or flight response? or Are we in our parasympathetic rest and digest? If we get really nerdy, it's an indirect measure of our vagal tone, our vagus nerve, which is our main controller of our parasympathetic nervous system. So the higher vagal tone we have, the body means that we're in this parasympathetic state, a rest and digest state, which is you know when we measure HRV primarily right now, which is during nocturnal we want a lot of variability during our sleep because that's the time that we want to be able to regenerate and recover. And the saying in exercise physiology is, you can't overtrain, you can just under recover. And so the ability to be able to into parasympathetic Mm -hmm. is, is a huge key because we're surrounded by stress. And sometimes it's hard to be able to deal with it and be able to manage it because there's so many factors, so many things that are out there, but it's okay if we can be able to be able to recover from that. And that's the problem is that we can not shift into this parasympathetic. We have enough sympathetic yes. activation already there. Sometimes it's not modifiable, mm-hmm. but our ability to shift into parasympathetic, to get into rest and digest what we need to be able to is super critical and key. And that's where HRV comes in to be able to measure that.
1: Wow, that was so good. That was so good. Super interesting because I have this program, Make Peace with Food, where I help women overcome binge eating, emotional eating, out of control eating. And what we actually talk about the whole time and the reason why we're actually driven to self-sabotage behavior is because the majority of the time we are in sympathetic. And we, and I call this protection mode just to simplify it, but that's exactly what the body's doing. It's trying to protect itself. What is it doing? It's driving me to eat. Why? Because food equals safety. Why is that? Well, because when there is a true scarcity in the environment, the body's going to do something about it. So it's going to slow down the metabolism. It's going to hold on to stored energy. It's going to make sure it drives me to eat more and to move less. And so this is super interesting and so in line with that concept. And then I just want to just maybe come back to what you said about the variability and in terms of how that is a measurement of health or that is a measurement of being able to overcome stress. So I know that, for example, when we measure a person's cardiovascular output, so how good their cardio is, not only do we measure how the heart rate is able to climb, but what we also measure is how well it is able to come back to rest and come back to normal. And that those two factors are a positive measure, of cardiovascular health versus just how fast can your heart rate come up, right?
0: Yeah, so that's, that's another marker, right? And that's mainly with our physical capacity to deal with stress, right? So that's in relation to our ability to under physical load, it doesn't necessarily measure our ability to manage emotional mm. load or isolation or safety in that regard. So you start to look at the capacity to deal with stress. It's like you know, stress can come in many different forms. Uh, but what's our, so to me, it's like, what's our overall capacity? If we have good physical capacity, if we have good emotional capacity, if we have good social and spiritual capacity, our HRV will be high. Mm. It's that if one of those things is not in an ideal state or we're suffering in a specific area, hrv will be able to detect that because it, it looks at all of these areas so there's a bunch of research around you know the progression of, of different diseases right heart disease diabetes cancer all those people have them you know demographically controlled have lower heart rate variability same with people that have depression anxiety mm-hmm. trauma mm-hmm. not only really that we started look at a lot of research now you talk about addiction in many different areas the these things and these patterns of, of high stress environments and how that's you know indicative of going people into relapse if there's a high stress environment for an individual we see that now with HRV monitoring, that people we need to increase heart rate variability, which is allowing people to, to be in, in, say, well, substance abuse in regards to sobriety. It's it's a critical aspect of of understanding that that whole mechanism. And you look at the social isolation, people that that deem to be self-deemed to be isolated or have lack of social connection, have lower heart rate variability, and people that have uh, from a spiritual standpoint, which is an interesting one in that standpoint because a lot of the research shows is that, you know, to determine someone's spiritual health, it's almost like they kind of have to have that, saying, Yes, I'm a spiritual person or not, and be able to, to work on, on that side of things. But when people recognize as being a spiritual person and when their purpose in life is, you know, diminished a significantly a lot more, you start to see decreases in RV variability. So all those, and that's the complexity of HRVs. Pick up yellow flags. I wouldn't say red flags, like diagnostic, but you know, warning signs. The difficulty is figuring out okay, well, which one of these areas do we need to be able to dive dive into? Is it nutrition? Is it our emotions? Is it our, that's the complexity where coaches like yourself and as well as me, we dive in to start to understand that concept. All I'm trying to do is be able to quantify the change that we already know that occurs To make it obvious objectively for our our clients to say hey like look how much we're actually improving
1: wow that's so good this is amazing i love this conversation so much my goodness okay this is so important this is so needed because what i what i know and the whole point of falling in love with fitness in general is knowing that there's not this one way and it's the only way to do it and a lot of people greg are walking around with the what's wrong with me right Why can't I just this? Why is it so easy for that person to release weight, but I can't? Why is it so easy for that person to do this and I can't? Why do I keep trying things and it doesn't work? And so if anything, I think this would be the message to take away today is that it's not you and it is your nervous system that is driving this. And so, so powerful that we're having this conversation. And now I'm curious in terms of how you link this and link this use with osteopathy because people don't generally walk into my office and i'll say okay well show me your your heart rate monitor let, let me let me do you have an iWatch? like tell me you know or your garmin or, or fitbit tell me what your heart rate's been in the last 24 hours so how do you how do you tie in the two
0: i mean the biggest thing for me as a practitioner is i want to make as much impact for my client as possible i may not have you know all the tools in the, in the toolbox but i have some and I, and I want to make sure that i'm actually making so, a meaningful difference I want to make sure that not only subjectively feeling better, but objectively we're on the right track as well. Both of those pieces of information are extremely viable, you know, subjectively, you know, people that are in acute pain, pain relief, phenomenal, right. But I want to make sure that we're doing everything we possibly can from the whole person to making sure that that pain stays away and goes away. And we are able to understand the mechanisms to what keeps that. And that where both of these pieces of information are extremely valuable. I I want that feedback of saying, hey, we're on the right track. Hey, maybe we're missing something. Because to me, from an osteopathic osteopathic treatment, as an intervention, it definitely could provide some benefit. We get some pain relief and all that. affects the nervous system phenomenally. But it may not work for everybody at this time because they may not be ready or not the right time of their journey and and all of this stuff. And I want that feedback that I'm not just going down the wrong rabbit hole. Because if I really make, say, some, some underlying deep nervous system work with individuals where their bodies their physiology is starting to be able to come back online we start to be able to see that but they may have like hey i don't know how my body like we have a little bit of disconnect that maybe needs some time to be able to kind of you know go forward to be able to to look at those things and i find this a lot with my post-concussion syndrome uh, Mm -hmm. clients people that have been suffering for maybe a year year and a half and it's like saying hey like you know your hrb is very very low we're going to do some treatments, get things up. It's like, hey, look, look, we're making some progress. Your nervous system comes back online. You know, the last couple of weeks has been down here. We're now up here. Hey, we're making progress. And it's that feedback they need because it's very much a roller coaster in regards to the recovery. And to know that we're on the right track, that, that the downs aren't as down as they were before, right? And their highs are higher than they've, they've been before. It's great feedback in that mechanism, which is, which is phenomenal. And then vice versa where, you know, I you know, we feel we're making some great progress in regards to, to, you know, getting people moving, feeling better pain, but their HRVs isn't changing saying, hey, we I want to look at you as a whole person, maybe there's some areas about your nutrition or your emotional health or your trauma based things that we need to be able to start to explore and understand as to why we're not making kind of bigger changes. Overall, for you, it's great that we're getting back active and moving and feeling better. But from a big picture standpoint, our goal is to live long, healthy lives. And there's something that's holding you back. And I don't want you to fall back into this, this pattern of pain. And I want you to be able to progress and grow. So let's figure out, you know, these areas and start to dive in and whether that's a referral to a psychologist, clinical counselor, a health coach, a naturopath, a medical doctor, whatever necessary may be to kind of work on the, the, any aspects of the biopsychosocial model that they need support in.
1: Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I just want to say you are incredible. You're amazing. This is so refreshing. What a badass because you said something that is so powerful that I hope that anyone listening caught, which is, yeah, I don't know everything. I got some tools, but I don't know everything. Here I am talking to this super cool, very incredibly knowledgeable osteopath who still says, Hey, I don't know it all. If you sign up with a practitioner, if you go see any healer, or any health practitioner who claims to know it all, I'm gonna say red flag right there because I don't know it all. I've been in, the, I've been in this business for 25 years and I'm gonna still say, I don't know it all. Because if I say I don't know it all, that means I'm done learning, I'm done growing, I'm done expanding, I'm done trying to learn new things. And of course, science changes every single day. So what I knew five years ago is so different than what I've learned now, especially things around gut health or things around HRV, things around all of the stuff that we're studying and incorporating the tools that we're using to help and support our clients and so that's a very very beautiful thing and that really says a lot about who you are and what you do so
0: congrats. yeah again like when i sat back when i graduated from first my exercise physiology degree where i thought exercise was the answer to everything yes right, right? Mm-hmm. You, you leave school thinking i got the tools to help anybody that comes my way they do this i can do this and and then you start getting practice you realize how small your skill set actually is yeah. into that side of things in my head i kind of go well okay, well, I'm an exercise, you know, kinesiologist, that standpoint, personal trainer, you know, then how do psychologists get people better than if they're in pain? How do physio and massage, like there's multiple mechanisms as to, to provide benefit. Like, is there a way for me to determine when massage or physio or clinical counseling or coaching needs to be intervened in a specific time more than me? And that that's been kind of my goal is be able to, and this is where HRV has been a great marker of saying like, go to this, you know, go to this person, this person, and we start to see the impact that actually has on a continuous, non-invasive basis that they don't have to wait six months to get blood work or a scan done or whatever it may be. It's, it's every day you get this feedback of what's going on to determine if you're making the right progress. So that was my, my biggest thing is it was very early on I had a realization that, again, when you graduate from school, you think you got it all. <laughs> and it hit me pretty hard early on of saying, I have a very limited skill set and I need to know what I can deal with and when things are not going the right direction with my thought processing or my interventions and no one to be able to deviate and rely on a team of people very much as we've accumulated in this clinic here with naturopaths and medical doctors and, and, and other osteopaths and physiotherapists to work as a team to be able to help somebody intervene at the right time.
1: So good. I love that. Absolutely. Could not agree. And there's so many ways to approach this with so many different modalities. And that's what's really important is just to understand that there are other ways to do this. And then also to be able to refer out, to be able to really even provide another perspective. So that's so important. And so how did you come across HRV anyway, Greg? Like how did you like how did you couple this work with osteopathy of all things?
0: Yeah. So my master's thesis when I was in Bloomsburg in twenty eleven now. I was looking at non-invasive ways of measuring heart function. Now, specifically, this was the clinical population. So we're dealing with people like congestive heart failure and and how to measure them non-invasively because you had to do catheters and Dopplers. And so there's all sorts of invasive stuff that was very uncomfortable for people to do and very risky. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at non-invasive ways. So part of my research, I looked at all the non-invasive ways that we can measure heart function and heart rate variability came up and and didn't end up in my paper. And, And the reason why is because we're looking at things you can be used during exercise. Specifically, and there wasn't a lot of research or good research around HRV during exercise. So we uh, got introduced to it, and when I came back home, I'm hearing the the kind of the triathletes and the marathon runners and the high level athletes starting to use heart rate variability as a tool for for managing uh, their training load. Mm-hmm. And at that time, it was described as they'll let you know what, when today is a good day to train or not, right? So that's what the understanding So I'm like, oh, it's a performance metric of like, oh, am I fatigued? Am I not fatigued? Am I overtrained or undertrained? And so that's when I was like, oh, that's my first understanding. And when I started diving into the research, I'm like, there's a lot of stuff around disease and health around this stuff. It's not necessarily about performance at all. I'm like, well, what's the connection between this and that? And as I go through various things, and as I started to, to apply it a little bit more, it came back to the fact that it's, it's about management of stress. And so how athletes use it in regards to training management is what is their biggest stress? Mm-hmm. It's managing uh, their training load, because that's the most, the most physically demanding thing that they're going through. That's the kind of overarching everything else. But when you deal with regular human beings, it's not training management. Mm-hmm. It's about stress management. It's about a body under stress or not under stress. And so this is where you know, a lot of people are really interested in heart rate variability. And as soon as I mention what this does, they go, oh, my God, very excited about it all. But then it comes to the practicality you get someone in front of you, their HRV score is low, and they go, well, how do I improve it? You need to know a lot about that person. You have to know about their exercise routines. You have to know about their nutritional teens, And you have to do a detailed analysis around those, their sleep patterns. You have to understand how they deal with stress. Do they have a lot of stress? Do they have past trauma? What, is our, what are the relationships with their family and friends like? How do they perceive stress as they come in? Do you have good emotional regulation or poor? Do you have good interception or bad The mind-body connection? Do we have that? Do you have a lot of agency or self-confidence to overcome tasks? All of these things come in in regards to our nervous system. And so you got to be able to, to look at that. And so I have 10 of these factors that I look at that seem to impact heart rate variability. And I try to address each of those, ask questions and, and dive down the rabbit hole a little bit about those to see kind of... You know, If they do have low heart rate variability or their health or well-being is not where they want to be able to be, mm-hmm. where is the low-hanging fruit for this individual? And is that something that I can deal with or is that something that I need to be able to refer out to
1: Right.
0: in regards to that? Say if any practitioners listen to this and they're kind of relatively starting and new and they're kind of saying, well, you no, know, I just don't want to give a client away to right. somebody else. I can tell you right now, the oh. amount of people that I get back referrals for for having a referral out to a great practitioner deals with the right that comes right back. I had someone that was like eight years ago that I saw once. I did some stuff and I referred it out. To this day, she sends people to me.
1: Right.
0: Right? And it's just trying to hold on to her and not have a good experience with me because we're kind of the blah, 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 I would have lost that. It's about kind of making sure that the individual is taking care of me, feel taken care of me, feel heard. Yes. And you you empower them with a lot of agency, a lot of self-confidence. We go to be able to take on their their, their problems. And, and that's that's by far the most, impactful thing you can do for an individual
1: oh my goodness so well said so well said and and that's the thing is right i have somebody in my office who i feel maybe needs something else maybe needs a new approach who do i care about me or the person right i mean i'm a practitioner so i should be focused on the person it's not about my benefit it's about would benefit the practitioner the most and what i also find super interesting when you do refer out when you do give that person that that place or that space to know that they're important that you care about them, that you care about their health. And it's not just trying to keep this one client. The other thing that you're also doing is you're allowing yourself to serve more people. If I try to, uh, I'm a private trainer and I want to hold on to these private clients, these five private clients forever. And I don't want to, I don't want them to leave. And I'm so connected and attached to them being my clients because I count on the income that I'm, I'm generating from them. What I'm actually also doing is limiting myself from being able to help thousands of other people. And so that's how I've always seen it. Like whoever I can help at the moment, actually my goal, my goal with whether somebody comes to see me for osteo or someone comes to see me for coaching is for me to make them autonomous. That's what I'm trying to do. I want to give them that that power to really step inside themselves and and pull that healing capacity out or create the rituals and routines that would make them independent versus relying on me. For workouts or for constantly taking away their pain, I actually want to empower them with that. So I love that you say that and that you mention yeah. that. And again, if anyone's looking for a practitioner, that's another red flag. They're trying to keep you versus referring you out. That's that's another thing you need to pay attention to.
0: One of the things, too, I'll never forget it. One of my teachers in Osteo said this. And I mean, there's a few kind of um, people in, in our that were teaching there. This, they said, We don't take new clients. Like, we don't take new clients. Right. And very predominant osteopath practitioner goes, I never understood that right are you not getting people better like why <laughs> okay. right. like why why are they keep coming back like the whole goal is to be able to make sure that that they they don't come back right right you should always be able to see new clients yeah right because it's like they're in a place in time and intervene to be able to work on certain things and be able to progress them make sure they don't like i have to put things back in or that type of stuff and, and you know just be like i need to see you every month for this right. and that and it's right. no it's it's not the case very similar to what you said. It's that autonomy, it's that agency of the individuals It's like the biggest thing you can do is is you. Like I, I I always say, like, I don't fix things.
1: Right. Yes.
0: It's not my my job isn't to fix things. My job is to be able to facilitate the healing process and then you go out and be able to create that change.
1: Absolutely. So powerful. So powerful. Yeah. Like if I look back now, I think the only exceptions of people who've been seeing me, let's say, for osteo for over five years now. Our triathletes that are spending 20, 25 hours a week training that needs constant tune-up. Like that's a different scenario, right? And we Completely. don't get many of those in general compared to let's say the, the general population. But yeah, absolutely. It's yeah, so well said. Yeah. Amazing. So I'm curious now, coming back to the HRV. Now we're measuring variability. So this is if somebody's listening, because I, I actually want to talk about stress a little bit, we're talking about stress and i also want to say that stress is not a negative thing so stress is actually a very natural phenomenon and it only becomes negative when it becomes chronic so we have this beautiful part of our nervous system that allows us to survive that allows us to be able to ensure survival and safety however it is supposed to be temporary because our natural default setting is that parasympathetic nervous state which again i refer to as safety mode where your body feels safe you're at ease in your environment there are functions that are happening in the body that allow you to heal that allow you to recover that are optimizing gut health and so there's a lot of beautiful things happening for you at that moment however whenever stress kicks in it is a natural phenomenon and again one more time that when it is prolonged and prolonged in a way where we don't even realize that we're under stress where we've just been so adapted to this high stress level because of the stress in our life and the stress with our spouse and the stress with our kids and the stress and the added stress and because our environment and our society says congratulations you're such a badass you work so hard you're so under stress look at you and so this is what's really important to pinpoint. And so, for a person listening who, let's say, has no idea around HRV, does not own a smartwatch to let them know what's going on with their HRV, how could you determine whether or not a person is in that chronic fight or flight state? What would be some of those signs and symptoms, Greg?
0: Oh, man, that's a very, very good question. And I think one of the biggest things I'm sure you're going to completely agree is like, you know, as takes a lot of repetition and understanding and start talking to people a lot of emotional challenges to understand are these these types of things one of the things that i say in a lot of my presentations when understanding of okay well we know chronic stress can lead to illness and disease we absolutely know that right and so but typically when we're under a lot of stress right you're in a fight or flight state this moment you happen to be able to do what you're able to do to survive you may not feel kind of these like little things in the moment you don't feel the pain or the anxiety whatever but that's like when you start realizing that you start having these these symptomologies, whether it's excessive fatigue, whether it's starting to be able to get, oh man, I just all the shoulder pain. I just get so tense all the time. Like it, I always say it's like we call it the autonomic dysfunction. The autonomic dysfunction symptoms starting to get a little more anxious. Sleep becomes a little more of a problem, right? You're always kind of feeling behind or overwhelmed and that type of stuff. And I always like it's it's always funny to me when I hear the people that have these conditions that come out of nowhere. Right. Right. Yeah. It's just the fact that people were ignoring the warning signs until a major thing occurred. It's like they were knocking on the door the entire time before somebody had to kick it in.
1: Right. Right. It's
0: just like, yeah, it's like, well, well, he exercised and ate well. It's like, yeah, well, he didn't sleep. Right. He he went out drinking a lot. Right. He may have, have been smoking. He's got, you know, a tough relationship with his marriage. He's, he never sees his kids that are on him all this specific time. He's got like, all this pressure from work in these different angles, He's got all these financial things. I don't think how how much you know food and exercise is going to do is actually going to outbalance that. Right. Right. And and so the the key is is very much to you some stress is good, but too much stress is bad. Is like you know what's that threshold? Right. What's that that like kind of that balancing act in, into that? And you got to make sure that you have that right balancing act. And the kind of the warning signs of some of those things you start getting these things of people maybe noticing you're a little more anxious. You start to feel like a little more fatigue. You can't don't have to get up and go. You don't have that motivation or that drive to continuously to get up and exercise or do these things and, and the pattern starts to fall off. I think your your health behavior starts to be able to to fall off right of that. So now I'm actually going to throw back at you uh, because to me it's you know I have the objective markers which I try to when I see high stress people, I bring them in and be able to show that to them. Right. Because sometimes they may not be as obvious to them. But is there anything different or anything that you see in someone that you starts elicit this kind of sympathetically dominant type of response on a continuous basis.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you said sleep, sleep is an important one, noticing that you have interrupted sleep or you sleep eight, nine, 10 hours, but you're exhausted, you never feel rested no matter how much. You're having a hard time releasing weight and you are no matter what you're doing even if you've got it all right you've got the best trainer in the world you're seeing them five times a week you're trying to cut calories you're noticing that it's just not working your body's not responding to that and of course there's hormones that are disrupted that are contributing to that you're noticing you have a lot of cravings especially sugar cravings you have a mid-afternoon lull so right in the middle of the afternoon you're exhausted you need something sweet you're noticing that you're also worried all the time. It's also your thoughts. They're always a worry. They're always of things going wrong. They're always the worst case scenario. With a lot of negative self-talk, a lot of self-deprecating conversations. And you're always sad or depressed or thinking about things in the past. And then emotionally also, you're feeling that they're, you're feeling defeated. You're feeling not enough. And so all of these things happening and your thoughts of course match your emotions. So your, your emotions are always of the worst case scenario because and, and thoughts of the worst case scenario because when you are in fight flight when you are in protection mode what your mind is doing is actually trying to anticipate a worst case scenario it does that for you it's your gift why is that because That's the only way we can ensure survival. So if I can determine what the worst case scenario is, for example, my boss, I've got a new boss on Monday. Oh my God, what if the boss doesn't like me? Oh my God, what if I mess up? What if I don't show up in the same way? And so all of these worst case scenarios and the constantly projecting things into the future of the worst case scenarios, that is your greatest sign that you're in protection mode, you're constantly in fight or flight because your thoughts are one way when you're in parasympathetic and another way when you're in sympathetic. Your emotions are one way, in either case, and so are, so is your behavior and so is your action. So anytime you see addiction, anytime you see self-sabotaging behavior, anytime and self-sabotaging behavior is basically when you're out of integrity, which means that you are not aligned with, with your thoughts and your emotions. So whatever I think and feel my actions are exactly the opposite. That means you're out of integrity. It's not a, you're a good person or bad person thing. It's really that what I wanted to do. And what I ended up doing were two very different things. And I don't know why I do this. Why do I keep doing this? And it doesn't stop. And so if you're noticing you're stuck in this pattern and you're trying to accomplish something, and I know I just brought up weight loss and and health, obviously, because we're talking about health today, but it also comes to business. If you're wanting to launch a project and you just can't hold yourself accountable, again, you're self-sabotaging. What about your relationships? Same thing around your relationships, always a lot of stress, addicted to the exact same fight, addicted to the exact same conversations with your spouse that bring up those feelings because cortisol is very, very addictive. And we actually love it. We actually love it. It actually fuels us, why? Because when we have cortisol, which also comes with adrenaline, when we are in fight or flight, we actually feel alive. We actually feel certain when we're angry, we feel certain when we're when we're under a lot of stress, I'm so busy, I'm so important. And, and so there's a lot of significance that comes with that. And so all of these things are signs that you are in protection mode. And especially when you're feeling like your body's working against you to your point, Greg, I'm seeing my osteo. I'm still in constant pain. I'm not recovering. I've tried everything. I've taken the magnesium. I'm still not recovering. Right. And so when you're noticing that you're doing the things, but your body's not cooperating, it's working against you. That is the greatest sign that you are in chronic protection mode and you've built an amazing, fantastic adaptability to being in that state at all times that you don't even know where baseline is anymore because you've just been in this place for so long.
0: No, absolutely. And you know sometimes I find it difficult when you have clients that that come see you for a problem that we know is much more than the physical solution that we can provide, right i've heard, I've heard it many times we talk about this where it's just like they just they just want a stretch or or a treatment to be able to be like, this like this is what I need. It's like, well. You know, don't say it, obviously, in regards to this, this way, but like you understand there's way more layers to this individual where, you know, your, your intervention may not be the most impactful. You obviously you do everything you possibly can to provide, you know, everything you can from a healing process. And um, yeah, the one thing I always, I talk about a lot in, in a lot of my presentations is my, one of my favorite quotes about stress was Dr. Hans Selye, who, who came up with the word stress. He always goes, it's not stress that kills us. It's our reaction to it right? Like you and I can go through the same, say relationship stress or financial stress, but how we deal with it and internalize it can be different. One of us may be super motivated, be like, you know what? I think this is an opportunity to be able to create what I want to be able to stop. Other person can ruminate and magnify the problem and dwell on it. And just like, it ruins my day every single day. And it's this big weight of, of cloud rather than like, it's almost like the shackles are off where I'm able to be able to attack a challenge want to be able to do. The other people feels the weight of the moment and just wants to be able to you know be alone and isolate. And so that's always a, a a big piece of, of understanding the, the mental component of stress, not just the physical component, but that needs to be addressed and hopefully open that conversation with the the clients of, of, you know, so I can, I kind of get it and and be able to, to walk down that line a little bit more and start to be, you know, a little more exploratory where if other practitioners can be involved, we can do that.
1: So good. Oh my God. I love that you say that. And I want to add one more layer because, you know, we're talking about, exercise and we're talking about dieting, we're talking about all these things, but those are also another layer of stress. And so when we don't realize that we're like, oh, exercise is so good for us. Like I, I have to exercise to be healthy, or I know I have to eat this certain way to be healthy. I have to 500 calories a day to be healthy. Well, what you've done is actually added another layer of stress. So here we are already in chronic fight or flight, already in chronic protection mode. And now what we've done is now start exercise. I'm going to start high intensity interval training. I'm going to start lifting weights which is like so incredibly stressful to the body it still raises cortisol it's another form of stress and now you're adding more stress to the stress and so i just want to pinpoint that out because that is not the solution the solution is first to bring your body into relaxation into parasympathetic or safety mode right and then move from there
0: absolutely in the students of the talks is as i go through okay, well, let me know what, what are good forms of stress. Right. And so one of them is, is to the point of talking about exercise, other people say, you know, watching your, your, you know, sporting team, you know, in a very kind of cool, you know, that type uh, of environment, bad forms of stress. And, you know, they talk about, you know, financial stress or poor diet and things like that. And I'm like, absolutely. These things are, you know, these are good forms of stress and bad forms of stress. Like I can also make a case that I can completely switch those opposite and to be just as correct. Hmm. Right. And I kind of go, because it depends on the dose and response, right? Exercise is good, but you can't do it 18 hours a day, right? Right, right. It's about the accumulation of these. And the one study that I bring up is a study that was done by the Department of Energy. It's it was they look at they looked at nuclear shipyard workers, so so people that were exposed to nuclear radiation on on a on a daily basis during work, and they looked at people that 60,000 people were a part of the study, and they looked at. All cause mortality, morbidity. So they looked at people that any type of condition, sickness, illness that required you know required hospitalization or death. They looked at all of those people for thirty years. Wow. They looked at these, these people. Huge mm-hmm. study a lot of information, a lot of data, a lot of a gigantic sample size. Obviously, statistical powers through the roof. And they looked at this. They looked at people that thirty thousand people were not exposed to any radiation, about 10,000 people were exposed to low dose radiation, which is about one chest X-ray per year. Wow. And then the high dose radiation, which is three X-ray, three chest X-rays per year. What they found that people that were the, the most exposed to radiation lived three years longer than the non-exposed group. Not only that, as they had all across all board, wow. low, lower chances and risk of, of any type of hemopoietic cancers, radiation sensitive cancers, and all cause mortality and morbidity. And the reason why is because very similar to exercise is that like, you just can't exercise for 18 hours a day. and think it's phenomenal. But if it's monitored controlled, where it's like the right type of stress at the right time and be able to build that stress and tolerance. The big thing with this radiation is that 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 amount of radiation was exposed over 365 days. It was a small amount of stress that they were able to recover from. Mm. That's the key of this is that obviously when we have you know, too much exercise or too much stress or too much stress, too much that all the stuff that's accumulated, we get into the sympathetic response into that. And to me, it's, it's very much, you know, some, you know, things in, in, in certain doses can be beneficial, right? But just a little bit too much of something's going to throw you off the edge, you'll be in a sympathetic thing. And so we got to be able to make sure that we're adding stress, the right amount of stress at the right time, or not pushing you over that cliff and the edge It's very similar to you. If someone's already stressed, it's like, well, what can we do to get them back, Right. right, like we're not going to expose them to radiation or whatever. You know, it's because that's not that's too much. That's already already too stressed. But you know, how do we kind of get them into that parasympathetic mode significantly a lot more to be able to be able to to recover from all these stresses? What can we do to to help alleviate that from a physical standpoint, from a mental emotional standpoint, all those areas?
1: Right. So good, so good. And I'm happy we're now going to get into that conversation because people are listening like, okay, I know my problem. Now tell me the solution. How do I get into parasympathetic? How do I get into safety mode? So what is it that you do? I know, again, I would think we would take four more hours for you to describe what you would do because you said you attack this on an emotional level, on a mental level, on, on a psychological level, and also on a spiritual level, on, on of course, on the body level, physiological level. So what, what would you say is your approach or how would we bring people into health
0: yeah so that's it's a great question in in how the framework kind of starts i mean it's very as you know like we try to be able to put some some systems in place and some rules in place in regards to things but in real life it's it's really hard to be able to do that so there's obviously always exceptions to rules but my framework has always been kind of around of maslow's hierarchy of needs if people aren't familiar with that it's it's Visualized as a pyramid, but he never actually drew it as, as a pyramid, but it's these layers of blocks that kind of like, you know, build up and like, Hey, what are the foundations and work from there? The first one is, is our physiological needs, right? So that's to me is our physical health, our exercise, nutrition, and sleep. So you start to be able to look at those and, and we're making sure we just cover the basics. Now we do, not necessarily be optimal in those things, but like, let's, let's make sure we have, we have good sleep habits, sleep hygiene. We're kind of being conscious about our nutrition, you know, physical activity and our physical health, which is a big part of that is going to be like blood work. Right. Right. making sure that our biochemistry is all kind of, you know, working on some things from there and be able to kind of tinker with that. And the reason why I say this is kind of the foundation of things is that when it comes to other aspects of health and well being, it takes a longer time to change because it has to do with mindset and personality. And, and so and those things are more of a continuous basis, you know, mm-hmm. find about purpose in life and drive and not dealing with stress. It's like a it's on your mind constantly, you, you can't get away from it. It's always there where physical health may be a you know, medication hopefully not but like exercise which is 30 minutes nutrition which is maybe a couple hours you know sleep which is you know everyone does and you just need like the time difference to make behavior change is quite small and doable to break it into chunks versus working on, working on self-actualization right or our self-esteem and confidence which is always going to be conscious you know subconsciously there to me to be able to deal with so setting up you know physical being is 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 phenomenal there the second is, is very much what you alluded to is safety right is to address safety yes. that is super key making sure that we are feeling safe in our home safe in our environment safe in around people around us like working on 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 those areas right. and so that's kind of the framework so you look at the mass, well i won't go to each, each detail but you look at the hierarchy of needs and start to look at that stuff it's like oh okay you start from the ground and, and you work your way up from that now depending on where the person inputs and where their values and goals are we may change and shift that pyramid a little bit in regards to what's going on but mm-hmm. from a framework i i kind of use that as a as a, as a starting point to see if that's, that's just me being the physical type of, of practitioner, that's, that's where I start. But that is a good framework for people to look at of and say, okay, like I have some basis of this, of this, this pyramid and you need to be able to work up all the way to the end, which is self-actualization, which is I self. Yeah, it's your agency. This is where you, you have purpose and ability to take on a day and, and be the best you possibly can be. So that's the kind of my, my approach to, to look at how to do a best attack health and well-being from a systematically logical way.
1: Right. Oh, so good. So good. And and I want to talk about the word safety because this is a very widely misunderstood word. Like, of course, I'm safe. Like there's no direct threat. Nobody's nobody broke into my house. I feel safe. No, that's not what it means. Safety really is being at complete ease in your environment. And so the women that joined my program, for example, make peace with food. They grew up in environments where they didn't feel safe. So this could have been a sexual trauma. This could, would have been verbal abuse. This could have been emotional abuse. There, this could have gone on for years. Maybe you even grew up in an environment that was not validating for you. Meaning maybe you had a single mom that worked three jobs and though she did her best, she wasn't present. Or maybe that also meant that sometimes she'd come home with one donut for five kids that you all had to share. You didn't feel safe because there wasn't that ability to have as much food as you wanted. There was always a lack. So anytime there was a scarcity or there's a lack, there's a lack of safety. And again, safety equals food. Like that's how the brain operates. Could have also been that you grew up in an environment where you moved a lot. Every few months you moved a lot and you never felt that you had a home or maybe your parents got divorced and you didn't feel safe during that time and you were going back and forth and not really feeling like you had somebody to help and support you. And so all of these things happen to us, whether that's in our childhood or adulthood, by the way, it could also happen all of a sudden as an adult where suddenly that feeling of security was taken away from you. And that could also be a very stressful environment at work you come in and again you don't feel validated or maybe you feel that you have a very bad relationship with your coworkers or your boss maybe you're in a current relationship right now where again you don't feel validated so anytime you're feeling that that is removal of that safety safety is you being completely at ease in your environment whether that is a direct traumatic event that could have been physical that could have been sexual that could have been emotional that could have been verbal That all that takes away your safety. And so it's important to really understand what this word means because a lot of us equate the word safe with really somebody jumping in out of nowhere and trying to attack me. And that since that's not my current situation, I I should feel safe.
0: Yeah. No, I it's the one thing I love about obviously talking to people that are in, in the industry is you start to learn stuff. Yeah. And I completely agree with you with this. I've never been able to put it that way. That is an absolute great way to be able to get people to understand what what safety actually means and then and now we can understand how that relates to the nervous system and how that relates to our health and well-being that's uh, that's phenomenal.
1: Thank you. I, we, we should hang out more often because I'm learning from you. You're learning from me. Like, look,
0: this
1: is going so great. I love this. <laughs> That's what I'm saying I get another osteo on here and we're going to geek out. Like, I know this is going to go that way. That's so good. And, and, you know, just coming back to what we were saying and what we we're talking about health. I've always seen health as this beautiful balance between these three things. It's like the trilogy. And the trilogy is a balance between the relationship with your body, the relationship with others, and then the relationship with yourself. Yep. If you can balance those three things, then you obtain health and health, by the way, to me is not a marker that is actually measured. It's really how you feel mm-hmm. because you know that you can get results back from blood tests and everything looks normal, but you don't feel good. Like there's something off. You could have all the money in the world and, you know, travel everywhere. And yet your relationship is suffering. That doesn't make you feel healthy. Right. You could have the best relationship. You could have the best family support and all of that. However, you have this constant not enoughness and you're feeling that there's this constant lack. So all of that can drive you towards disease. And so when you understand that it's not just what's happening, in my body, what's happening, in my relationships and what's happening, you know, in my mindset in terms of how I'm seeing myself and how I'm viewing the perspective of the world that I have. If you understand that this all this can be balanced. And when we talk about the balance, we're specifically saying relationship with your body, not, not condition of your body. It's the relationship with your body, because how do you speak to yourself? How do you harness self-love? How do you treat your body? You know, all of these things are so incredibly important. And to me, when we're able to actually pinpoint that and start to separate the areas of our lives that need more attention, that's where we can start to move towards health because health is very much related to how we feel. And it is this constant thing that is varied; it's constantly changing, and so you have to adapt to the ebbs and flows of the situations in your life to continue to be in the flow of your health.
0: Mm-hmm. I couldn't put it better myself. <laughs> yeah, no rebuttal. Completely agree.
1: So, what what is your definition of health?
0: Yeah, so I put obviously a little more that that the scientific side. You know, to me, it's it's you know, uh, it is a gigantic, you know, it comes out as how you feel. Mm. and to really understand all the, these these areas from some more the the tri-quantitative mind that i have like the outcome is obviously that mm. where i see health being is in the presence of something mm. right whether it's uh, again a lack of self-confidence whether it's a physical challenge whether it's traffic Whatever necessary may be, that we're in the presence of something, our, baby, our ability, to maintain a stable environment, not let it impact us, not let it impact our our mental well being. Very much as like you said, this the self the self doubt comes in. The more that that past traumas have a less of an impact of how our internal environment deals is that to me is is, a, is the the picture of health.
1: So good. I love that. I love that. And I love that you threw in the word confidence too, because that is a very, very important component, especially when it comes to relationship with self is that level of confidence. If I'm constantly not enough, if I don't feel like whatever I'm doing is good enough, I'm always beating myself up. I've got this constant negative self-talk that is not confidence. That doesn't harness confidence. And to me, true confidence is not just that I feel good in my body. I feel secure as Sherry Shaban and what I'm doing. Actually confidence is all of that in the presence of uncertainty
0: yeah exactly
1: that is confidence is if yeah. i can have all that while things are going i'm mean, going to want to say hit the fan i want to say this sh- it's a fan that's really the word okay when i'm feeling that even in that situation i'm confident i'm grounded i'm centered i have faith that's confidence it's not when things are good and i got money in my account and my relationship is good and my job is good and it's a beautiful day it's sunny outside and my kids are are not you know acting up and i got through the night and that's that's not confidence confidence is really what can i do in the face of uncertainty to stay centered if i can do that then that is confidence love it this is a really great conversation you're you're really amazing and i've enjoyed every single moment and i feel so honored and privileged to have spoken to you today i hope to get you back on the podcast at some point would you be good with that
0: of course no this is again you know have some someone with very similar backgrounds and philosophies it's great to be able to kind of you know go down these rabbit holes and like I said you'll see some things that I'm gonna take away with and then yeah. I'll you know same with you and and start to be able to to think a little bit more deeply about you know the impact that we have on on uh, our clients
1: So good so good so I'm gonna honor your time today because I, I'm a bit selfish with your time and and I wanted to actually keep talking. But is there anything else, Greg, that you wanted to share that maybe you didn't have a chance to just yet?
0: No, I think the biggest kind of takeaway would be the fact that, you know, I think people have a significant amount of control over their health and well-being. Sometimes when they're diagnosed with a condition, they kind of feel victim of, you know, that condition. And and it kind of ingrains the fact that it's out of my control now, where you have a lot of control, you have a lot of autonomy, you have a lot of agency over your health and well-being. And surrounding yourself with a great knowledgeable team of practitioners to help guide you through that as well is a big piece of it. But obviously to be able to do the work and go forward to making sure you're making the right decisions and, and putting the right foot forward is a big thing. But your decisions that you do around your health well being is the, the biggest factor, understand your health span and longevity.
1: Amazing. Amazing. So I, I love that so much and I couldn't agree more. And I love that you put that in the hands of the person to give them more control, because if we have control over our health, then that's where we can make a change. If I always feel like I have no control, some, I need someone else's help. That's where then we start to struggle. And so I love that you've added that value you've provided for us today. Greg's really great conversation. So if someone wanted to connect with you, where could they go to do that?
0: Yeah. So if you're in Vancouver, Canada, which probably a lot of people aren't, we have a clinic downtown for the train that, that I'm, I'm treating at. Also there's gregelliott.ca that's kind of where I'm, I'm starting to just launch some free resources for people with ebooks around HRV and health wellbeing and some other podcasts and things that I've been on. So you can, you can definitely check me out there too.
1: All right. Amazing. We'll definitely add that to the show notes. Thank you so much for your time today.
0: Thank you very much and keep doing what you do. I know this is a lot of work. It's a lot of grunt work. It's a lot of time away from, from family friends and things you could be doing impacting, but I think this provides a significant value to, to the general uh, population. So please keep up with it. You're doing a phenomenal job.
1: Likewise, my friend. Thank you so much for seeing. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fall in Love with Fitness. Whether you're already on your fitness journey or just getting started, we're in this together. Just head on over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave a review, and you'll be entered into the drawing to win my six-week transformation course. Then go to fallinlovewithfitness.com and get your free gift from me so you get back your energy and reinvigorate your life. Join me on the next episode and remember, you are an inspiration.